This is the Live Your Edge podcast, episode four. This is your host, Gilbert Joa. In this episode, I will be talking to Michael Michelini on his move from Wall Street to China and the power of niche communities. Hello, this is Gilbert. Welcome to the podcast. Let's get started with our guest interview with Michael Michelini. Hello, everyone. Today we have Michael Michelini. Hey, Gilbert. How you doing? I'm great. And yourself? Yeah, I'm doing doing amazing. Every day is is a blessing, right? So Michael is the founder of Global from Asia. Michael spent 11 years in Asia, having been from New Jersey. And I'll let Michael tell you a bit more about himself. Sure. Technically, Connecticut. I was born and raised in Connecticut, and well, tri-state. And then I went to college in Jersey, New York. Then I worked in New York City for almost five years on Wall Street. So a lot of people always like to say I'm the guy from Wall Street to China. But I'm, I'm, I, I really like to say I an entrepreneur uh, and, and uh, an, a person that a practitioner that, that executes it's mostly in e-commerce trading uh, since uh, 2004 selling on eBay while I was working on Wall Street that took me to China for factory sourcing and uh, has led me through a lot of things but I think I'm excited for today's topic of you know community building and and building your brand and, 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 and getting people to synergize with you, which is actually always my passion was blogging. I always shared my story since I came to China in 2007. So my personal blog has been something I enjoy sharing and, and uh, connecting with people. I also noticed that you were vlogging as well. So yeah. do you spend more time on the, the video aspect of it or more on the written? Yeah, I think video takes a lot more time with recording it. You know, especially vlog, you know, it's not just a one-time thing. I carry my camera throughout the day, and and I'm, I'm always taking it out. And the editing takes quite a long time. But actually, I'm lucky I have upgraded to an uh, I have an amazing team now, and I have an editor, so that takes off some of the some of the burden. I guess still video takes more time than text. I mean, text, I, I write in my mornings anyway, so. But yeah, definitely video is much more difficult. But it seems like people like it a lot more. Yeah, because I see that you document your journey, especially when you're traveling uh, throughout Asia. So you started off in Hong Kong, correct? Yeah, I landed in Hong Kong, but I almost immediately went to Shenzhen. I, I landed, I went to the Hong Kong trade shows. I had some contacts from New Jersey in college from Hong Kong. They, uh, they were family uh, factories, they owned uh, factories in China. So they always thought I was crazy, but I kind of almost immediately went to to uh, to Shenzhen. I, I I mean maybe I stayed at their house literally in uh, Hong Kong for about a week. Well, my first time in China, I did a month tour. I don't think I I can't say I moved here right off the bat. I came for a month in 2007, third quarter, and then I moved here in fourth quarter directly to Shenzhen. So what inspired you to move to Asia? 
Well, it was a it was a two step process. Basically, I'd say first step was I didn't immediately move here like I was hinting towards earlier, but basically I came for for trade shows. I was uh, buying already without even being to China from uh, Alibaba and you know, online on these online uh, directories and talking late at night at Skype. So I was already buying from factories that I haven't been to China, but when I came, I saw some of the factories I was buying from, and I also got to you know, uh, learn and meet so many people. And I was just so blown away with the things I needed to learn that I decided to, to come out here and, and, uh, spend more time. I didn't say I'd live, I would never thought I'd be here 10 years, but, uh, you know, I, I ended up, um, being here 10 years, but there's just so much to learn. Yeah. So much to do. So I, I, I believe it must've been a huge change for you to move from wall street to China. A lot of people always ask me, how do you know when to quit your corporate job and do full time? You know, I don't think there'll ever be a fancy answer. But the the thing for me was my lease was ending in New York City and my contract, you know, it's a yearly renewal. And my bonus came in on Wall Street. And my friend in California had an extra room two blocks from the beach for uh, like $400 a month. So I was like, okay, I can pay month to month, no contracts. I'm like, okay, I can go hang out in California, do my eBay and website business and source from China. So I I didn't think I would live in China, but I went to the trade shows, you know, six months after uh, living in California. And then uh, I just felt like there was so much to do that I I ended up uh, moving to China. But it was really just because I felt like there was so much, I guess, opportunity and so much to do and so much to learn that I needed to spend more time there. And I was kind of bored in California. Well, I wasn't in Silicon Valley, I have to say. I was in San Diego. And uh, it was great fish tacos and California burritos. But I was, I was a little bit bored. So I felt like there was a lot more to do in uh, China for business. Wow, I love San Diego as well. I think we have like similar interests. So once you got to China, what was the biggest thing? Like I'm sure some of our listeners are uh, might have not been to China before. So what was the biggest change that you've had or that you experienced uh, when you moved to China? So is there some major shocks that? No. Yeah, I mean, um, there's, I guess, of course, so so many. Um, but I was really kind of blown away with. Uh, of course, I mean, I, it was a huge shake of my life. Uh, I, of course, I didn't speak any, I didn't study any Chinese before I came. It was really hot. Like, California is nice and it's not hot, but man, South China, as you know, is like raging hot. And then the internet, even then, it wasn't blocked. Facebook wasn't blocked yet, but, uh, oh, you know, YouTube, the days. YouTube, <laughs> YouTube was blocked, though, actually. And some other things, like I remember some of my email accounts didn't even work. And this, so the firewall still was kind of there, not as strong as it is now. But luckily, I, I hired a girl I met at the trade show in October. So I came in December after a couple months back in the U.S. at the end of 2007. And she was helping me out. She, But, man, it was just so overwhelming. I, I don't even know how to begin. But everything was different, and it was just so many people. And I remember, I think maybe if you have to give me one thing, it was a personal space. Take the city bus, and you, know, you just get cramped in there, and you just, you're just rubbing up against everybody. And it's just, you know, you're paranoid. Your pockets are going to get picked or something, but it's just normal to just be jammed in a bus, you know. Like, that was really annoying, I think. A lot of Americans like our personal space, but here it's just like everybody just jams up to each other like sardines. It's a long way from Jersey. 
Yeah. So have you ever gotten over that? Kinda. I mean, even today, I'm in recording this. I'm in Hong Kong today, and uh, I, I had a, a pretty big like roller bag, and it took up some space, and it got crushed. Like, I had to kind of almost put my legs over it as I was getting pushed onto rush hour traffic in Hong Kong. You know, on the MTR, it's like still I can't get, still not fully used to it. But uh, I don't think we'll ever be used to it. <laughs> yeah. Today's topic actually. Was about creating communities, particularly niche communities. And Michael's very experienced with uh, community building, and he's been doing so since he came to China. Because you know, if you come to a new country, you don't know anyone, and you have to start over. Michael, why don't you share a bit about how you started with Global from Asia? Sure. So I think.、Um... I think that one of the best ways to start up a, a blog or a, a business in general is people are asking you for help or asking you, you know, asking you questions at least. So I get a lot of people asking me a lot of questions, and what I've learned is I kind of don't want to say I, email is so inefficient, right? You know, you people because I have a personal blog and I kind of talked about business on my personal blog, but it was kind of mixed in with like personal, personal stuff. So. I had been getting asked a lot to do a podcast, and、uh, I go to a lot of internet marketing conferences, and everybody starting podcasts to build communities and connect with people, and so I kind of got inspiration to start a podcast about Hong Kong business specifically because there's so many people trying to set up a company in Hong Kong that are digital nomads and traveling entrepreneurs and and、uh, e-commerce sellers, and not nobody was really doing that yet. So I I like almost immediately.、Uh, Registered a domain, and I—I I don't know. It just clicked in my head, to be honest. I didn't think too much about the name, but I, I didn't want it to be like China about China business. I wanted it to be about international business, but of course, from Asia. So it's just like global from Asia, just kind of stuck in my head. I think I was in like a, a hotel lounge with some other, you know, internet marketers, and I just said, "What do you think of the domain Global from Asia?" And they're like, "Yeah," and I'm like, "Okay," and I just registered it. Wait, so you were shouting in the hotel lounge? The, the- Were there people you knew, or it was just like a random crowd of?、Uh... It was a conference, so there was、oh. people in the conference. I don't. Maybe I knew one or two just sitting next near me, but、uh, I didn't know most of that. I guess I say shouting. I was talking out loud enough. You know, it's not like a. There's no music in the background. It's like a quiet, like ten, ten, twelve people in the room. It's got some chairs and tables or couches, and people are on their laptops and stuff like that. Oh, I see. Okay, so once you figure out the name, you got the podcast up. What was the next step for you in building your community? Well, actually, I didn't even know how to set up the podcast yet. So what I did <laughs> is I used, I just set up a one-page website with an email capture. So I got like Mailchimp and I did LaunchRock, which I tell a lot of people, you know, both are totally free. You just literally go to LaunchRock.com and you just point the domain to your website or point, the, you know, there's name servers. It's a little bit technical, but there's decent tutorials. And what happened was、um, I tweeted it out, and I was actually hashtagging in the conference, saying, "Hey, jump on this! We're gonna, I'm taking action on a, on a podcast. Subscribe and follow updates." So I immediately tried to get emails. I think I, got, I didn't get maybe twenty, thirty, forty, but I, that's all right, right? Like within a day. And then I was then I launched a podcast within a week. I think I started watching YouTube videos and stuff. Like Pat Flynn has a good one about starting a podcast. Yeah, like. Like that. 
So since Global from Asia, you also started holding conferences as well. What, did it, did it spawn out of the popularity for the po podcast, or do you feel like oh, there's a lot of interest in such conference? Yeah, I mean, that didn't come until about 2016. So I started the podcast 2013. So it's not like I did it right away, but I just felt like there was a lot of interest. Yeah, like you say, people always wanted to meet. They always wanted to meet, and I was tired of meeting people one on one because you know how many times can you really meet one person at a time at a? And they always come, like I said earlier in the show, to the trade shows in October and April, you know, twice a year. So I just said, oh, we should do an event during the trade show time when people are around. And then the idea of the cross border summit. Actually, we're going to think about calling the Global from Asia Summit (GFA) summit. But we thought it would be – we kind of got into the niche actually of cross-border um, business, which we think is a kind of a sexier way of saying international business. But it kind of evolved into cross-border and then the summit. And uh, your next summit is in – is it Brazil? Uh, Colombia. Oh, Colombia. When's yeah. that? March 18th to the 22nd. It'll be a two-day conference on 18th and 19th, but then we're going to do a three-day business trip around uh, around the um, – actually, maybe even a mini plane. Uh, so that'll be a, a separate, um, a mini a separate plane. addition. So – like these small propeller planes are I don't know I'm I'm talking to our partner Esteban about it but it's uh it'll be a pretty wild ride it'll be a, but the main event will be 18th and 19th Oh interesting And I remember speaking at it the last uh, yeah, yeah, you were in Senjin pretty amazing and every yeah, year you're thinking about having it the conference in a different location now right yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a risk. You spoke at our, our 2018 conference in April. It was our third year, always in Shenzhen, even the same venue. And now we're taking a big jump on the other side of the world. Some people think we're crazy. Some people think we're genius. I guess we'll we'll see. But already we're getting decent feedback from people that can't come to this side of the world. But the idea is we call it the cross-border summit, and you know, east meets west. So we're going to have one – this will be the – Colombia will be the first time on the Western Hemisphere, and then we're going to go back to the Eastern Hemisphere, and then we're going to go back and forth each year to different uh, countries on each side of the globe. Awesome. That, that sounds amazing because that's really, truly going global yeah. from Asia. <laughs> it's, it's true, right? So you got the podcast up, and before you had the conference, you also were... You were also working on other stuff as well, right? Yeah, there's so much. There's a, of course, um, like I said at the very beginning, I don't sometimes take my own advice, which is just to focus. I love to do. I'm. A, I, it's. I love learning. I love making things. So, I was kind of coming out of a mobile app. So I I sold my app to a startup in Futian in Shenzhen, and it was a basically a one year uh, where I was working there a few days a week. It's part of the part of the terms, and then I was starting Global from Asia at that time, and I was also basically I was uh, doing services to help people set up Hong Kong companies because a lot of people said, Mike, I like your podcast, I like your blog, I want to support you, 
I know you have other agencies that you're referring or telling people to go do, but I want to work with you. I want to work. I want to support the business. So we started getting people to do a service. So I became a partner in this. Well, there's a long and a short story, but basically I ended up becoming a partner in a CPA firm in Hong Kong. Oh, I didn't know about that. <laughs> wow. Oh, you didn't even know about that? No, I, did too I, many I didn't. I, I just have like a quick, a quick question about, I'm sure a lot of our, our listeners, uh, some of them are not in Asia and they might have thought of coming out to Asia or leaving their home country, wherever it may be, and venturing into a new country. So someplace they've probably been once or twice, but like ourselves, we fell in love with the country and decided to move there. What advice would you give to the listeners on how to make the jump from their home country, let's say they never left their country before, and venturing out, starting a new life, making new friends, and particularly friends. I think uh, as humans, we, we need to have that social aspect. So when you don't know anyone, it's kind of tough to, I think that's the, that's the hardest thing uh, about making a new move. So what would you, what advice would you give to our listeners in adapting to a new country and meeting people. I mean, let's, let's say they're not starting a podcast. Maybe they're in a, they're just here for work or some other form of uh, business. Yeah, of course, that's the challenge. I think actually my wife has noticed that as she's traveled overseas, she's Chinese. And a lot of times we're friendlier when we're outside of our home country. I don't know if you'd agree with that, but one of the coolest things about being a foreigner is the kind of almost natural support you have for other foreigners because and even locals help you more because uh, most locals in any country see you as a person kind of like adventuring and maybe needing support so honestly sometimes it's easier to make friends when you're outside of your home country because people are just out of the all everybody's outside of their home country i mean i'm not gonna say it's so easy but there's there's lots of lots of clubs and of course you know we're talking about you know, the community I'm working on where a lot, everybody loves events, right? So I think you've talked about it at the cross-border summit with your, with the golf community. And, uh, it's basically while, you know, we're making a podcast now and I hope, I hope we're helping and inspiring lots of other people listening. It's not as, it's not as, it's hard to network until you actually really still meet face to face. I know there's virtual reality and, and other technologies, but still it's nothing like face to face. So, I think you just have to get out of your apartment and, and network to make relationships and, and it will save you a lot of time just sometimes getting one piece of advice from somebody. So usually there's tons of uh, expat events, foreigner events, or of course niche community events like you know your podcast talks about and what I do where you can really hyper connect with people that are doing similar either business or even hobbies as you. So I think um, – of course, also a lot of times each each city has like a local English language website for expats that you can jump on to to get help or Facebook groups or other social media groups. But um, still, themes like meetups and events are probably the fastest and best way to really make uh, quick friends. Um, I, th I think this is quite interesting because we have slightly different approaches. I would even say it might have been opposite approaches when we first started in terms of our audience space. 
I think your your first step was the expat community in connecting with other expats that moved from their home countries. So everyone is、uh, much more friendlier than say if we met in our home country like the U.S. And for myself, when I started the golf society, it was I was catering more to a more broad、uh, audience at first because at that time I I just learned to play golf and it was just a hobby I had picked up. But I couldn't find anyone to play with. It was very difficult to access the the game itself. Was difficult, and it was hard to find people. So I I started a, a meetup group, and the people that came were a mixed bag of、uh, locals and expats. Primarily, it was started off with locals, and then slowly we also had a number of expats. So to this date, the The distribution is、uh, half of them are locals from Hong Kong, and half of them are expats from. I think we represent up to twenty different nationalities now. But the 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 place where we began was more on catering to the locals, which the requirement was really they played golf and then、uh, they wanted to show up at our events and meet new new people, new friends, and that's that's what happened. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I mean, well, I think it just depends. I mean, sometimes if it's just general expats, basically just want to make friends with anybody. A lot of times it's a, it's it's sad but true. You know, I guess drinking is a big thing in the Western world. I guess in Asia too, but、uh, expats, of course, will be like happy hours, and the connection is more loose just to basically being a foreigner or an expat from out of country, or at least a local that wants to meet foreigners and.、Uh, See,、so, but yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that's a community I'm worked on global from Asia. I say that's just more in general to make new friends when you go to a a new country. So in terms of because we we use the word niche community here, and some of our audience is not familiar with how that sort of plays out in their life. So why particularly niche communities? Why not just have a very broad community for for everyone? I guess. Because it's going to be hard to reach all of them, and maybe I—I I don't know if I'd be right or wrong, but I didn't call my podcast Hong Kong Business Podcast dot com. Actually, I wonder if somebody registered that domain. <laughs> but I—I、uh, <laughs> I didn't want to go that niche, but I did. Even though the name is a little bit broader, like Global from Asia, you know, we did very niche down. Like if you look at the first ten or fifteen or twenty shows of the podcast, it was only about Hong Kong business setup and partners. And、uh, it helped uh, build up. Uh, actually, almost feels like it was a little bit more effective. Even now, we're a little bit broader, and I feel like it's almost harder because we talk about Amazon, we talk about banking, and we talk about you know、uh, a little bit wider range of content. And sometimes I worry not everybody likes all that content, but when you are very niche down, people know what they're gonna get, and they almost are like much more active and avid because it's so focused on exactly what they want. So you build like a. I feel like it's a stronger community and a stronger brand. If I don't know if you'd agree with that. I do agree that having a common interest would be sort of the basis of a strong community. Because if everyone has their own interest and they come together, I don't think nearly we have a, a much more unified environment for them to share their interest for that particular thing. 
for my golf society, it was basic premise was golf, but we had other activities. We had drinking, we had happy hour dinners, and even bowling. We had bowling uh, events before because now if everyone was just playing golf all the time, it would be quite boring. At the time that I was helping out, or when, when I started off, I had a few, few co-founders that eventually joined me, and I was focused more on the social community aspect. So I would host the the dinners, the happy hours, and and gatherings like such. But again, I think finding just one important one important interest to center the community around and slowly build it up from there. It's very important. I mean, when you're first starting the community, you might not know exactly where, what interests the the people. With time, I guess it will evolve. And like our community now is evolving. We've we sort of taken a more stronger stance on expanding more into lifestyle elements rather than just straight up golf because we want to work with other brands in the lifestyle space. And we figured that golf is so niche in Hong Kong, particularly to a point where there's only so much you can do with, with say, driving ranges and golf, golf simulation centers. Yeah. In terms of, I think what's interesting is also because we talked, we touched upon offline and online communities because podcast is a online community, but can also turn into offline community in which you facilitated a, a conference. So we brought the people that were, had been guests on your podcast on to a physical uh, space. And then we also involved uh, other people that have been listening in on the podcast. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite parts is when you uh, meet people that have been listening and can't even talk about content you've been talking about over the years. It's it's really mind-blowing. Nowadays, we have so much access to the, you know, we have internet, we have so many different channels. Uh, for anyone that's starting out, it would be uh, might be very, like, hard to decide which channel to go for what, what do you think about that it's it is true i guess the best is to try to think about who you're targeting who is your community and where are they right i think you would say like um is it you know male female what age are they are they techies you know i think for podcast listeners a lot of them are uh, are learners they love to learn they uh they're learning on the way on their commute on their drive they're learning, you know, uh, on their running or their, uh, so I think you got to think of the medium is where is your community spending their time and then focus your effort on that channel. Um, so many people talk about YouTube, but a lot of times YouTube, I think some business people don't have time to watch, you know, five, even five, 10 minute video, but they can listen to like a 30 minute podcast because they don't have to watch it with their eyes. They can listen. Right. So it's a different type I know you could just listen to the pod, to YouTube, but it's not the same usually, at least to me. You know, you, you, there's no expectation to look at anything. So, I guess you got to think about who's your target audience and where are they? What what kind of uh, medium are they using to consume their content so you can reach them? And typically, do you keep it between one or two channels, or do you also have a copy of a content in yeah of course uh i try to be as many places as possible but at the begin i guess it depends the beginning versus later right i think 
when you're just starting out and you don't know what's going to work, you don't even just setting up like a million Facebook, you know, not million Facebook, a Facebook account, Instagram account, Pinterest account, podcast, website, you know, blog, like uh, YouTube, uh, you know, there's the list goes on Telegram account, Twitter account, like it goes on and on and on. So, you know, a, one hot topic is like ICOs and, and Bitcoin. I think really if you're doing ICOs and Bitcoin stuff, you probably only need a Telegram group and uh, and a Twitter account. You don't need – maybe a blog. You don't need Facebook or uh, you don't need a pod, maybe podcast, but uh, you don't need as many channels. You know, I think focusing on Twitter and Telegram if you're doing ICO and try to reach investors in, in crypto. Um, so I think you just kind of got to think about who you're targeting again. And it, But right now, of course, I'm trying to hit as many channels as possible I've been almost five years. I have, you know, our team is growing. They have more res- we have more resources. We want to reach more people. But at the beginning, I did, I, it would be impossible, you know, to do all of them. So you got to think of where's your best channel. Like my video blog is more like personal lifestyle content. No, it's more just fa- – actually, Facebook is my main channel for my v- video blog, my personal blog. Like, But, but um, you know, my business content is more my, my blog, my text blog. And my uh, and my uh, podcast. Yeah, that's completely true. Because some some people prefer the email. Some people like YouTube and watching the videos. And some people just you know want to listen to audio on their way to work. And I feel that yeah, in the beginning it'll be very difficult to be on all the channels, and we have to prioritize uh, where we put ourselves in. Because uh, since we have so much channels, the good thing is we have a lot of access, but at the same time, we have so many options. We don't know where to start, particularly if we are just, just it's just ourselves and we don't have a, uh, have a team to look after all these uh, different uh, channels. I, th- I think it's, um, the, on- the online to offline aspect is quite, is quite interesting. And I think it's uh, quite common these days that people start the community online and then bring it offline. But... What about the offline to online channel, like the offline to online aspect of it, in which there are just events and, of course, you convert people that you meet in person to your offline channel. And some people have said that, oh, this seems a bit ineffective, but I also think that it's important because you're getting to meet the people in person and they get to know you about what you do and and then have them visit you on your your online community. What do you, what do you think about that? I think it's true, but for some reason, I don't know if you agree. I think it's harder to bring an offline community online than an online community offline. I don't, I, 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 I don't know why I think that, but I just feel like from my experience, people meeting in person or just a lot of times people meeting regularly, regularly offline are just – Maybe not. I guess it maybe it depends, but just feels like my general feeling is they're just like, oh, I'll just wait until I meet in person again. I guess if it's like a weekly event, it's hard to get people to do online. In my my experience, then they just wait until they meet in person again. But like when it's online to offline, there's this buildup. Usually, you don't do as many offline events if you're online based, and. and then you can uh, build up more anticipation for the offline. But maybe that's just because I do bigger events with the online content. But I just feel like it might be harder to bring an offline community 
It's already been offline for a while. Online, I don't know what you think. What if the community is, say, we have a conference, like you mentioned before, and you're meeting new people, you're talking, you're maybe giving a, a speech or a keynote there, and, of course, you tell people about your community. You have, like, a slide about it. And do you see it sort of as a way of bringing people that are Yeah, online? okay. I agree with that, but I guess that's almost different than... I was saying, like, if you do meetups every week and then you try to tell your meetup group to share, talk online more, I feel like I feel like that might be harder because people are just going to wait until next Wednesday to meet rather than chatting to each other before, in my opinion. But, yeah, I think if you're, you're doing a guest speech and people really like what you and your, your community is doing and they want to jump onto the ship, it's like your story – I think that's easier um, to get people to commit because it's not, but it's more scarcity. It's not that offline event is something you're not doing regularly. But if you're regularly doing an offline event, I feel like people are almost lazy or spoiled and they'll just say, I'll just wait till I meet them next week. Is that one of the challenges you would face in maintaining a community that's? Well, if it's online, I guess it has different challenges. So what type of challenges would you feel an online community would have? Um, I guess, it, I mean, I'd love to hear what you define a community as. Some communities are more active than others. I guess there's active community and I guess in an engaging community. Um, it's, you know, online, especially podcasts, I don't, know what your feedback has been but podcast is really hard to get i think i've talked to other podcasts it's really hard to get people to give you feedback or give you uh comments or engage back with you you know i think you have to have a lot of the, the, uh, i think the uh percent of people that listen to the percent of people that take an action is uh, is, is pretty low i think audio podcasts are probably the lowest engagement uh, because like we were saying earlier, a lot of people are listening in their car, they're listening, uh, while they're walking. So they're, um, even if they want to say something, they don't have their hands are tied literally or hands are. <laughs> so a lot of times they'll say, Oh Mike, I've been listening for years. I never heard from this person. And, uh, sometimes you just assume you're so big and so famous and so busy that you don't have time to reply to their messages. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure what you think of this. I think it just depends. I guess YouTube is actually great. There's so many people leave comments. It's really uh, engaging community, right? YouTube and uh, people are much more likely to engage. But podcast, I think, is so. I guess it depends on the online platform community. And some people think like forums are dead. And everybody's just use Facebook groups. Um, so I think it kind of depends on the technology and almost, I guess I would say culture or the habit that the user on that platform is accustomed to with the engagement. Cause it's look at blog comments. I don't think anybody comments on blogs anymore. You see so many blogs that have zero comments because people are talking about it on Facebook. They're sharing the blog on Facebook and then they're commenting with a blog post. Okay. Yeah. I, I can see why a podcast might have engagement might be somewhat lower because of the, it's just one, sort of one-sided uh, or, interaction. 
but at the same time, it's also because of the platform. Like iTunes doesn't integrate. You can't like leave a comment on it, right? But YouTube, it's like embedded in. So people, but people are also in front of their screens, right? And people are like seeing the comments section and they're reading the comments and they see what other people are saying about that video and they're replying to that user's comments. So that platform has a much better engagement mechanism. So you know, see what I'm saying? So, and it's also, I guess, the habits you should do. Actually, I don't do as honestly. I don't, don't do as good a job in my podcast. But you should maybe on your podcast, you should also try to get people to take action. Even if it's like go to a website, download the slides, go to a website, uh, this offer, get this freebie, get this, uh, or leave a comment, or try to get people to take get get your audience, train your audience to to uh, to take action. Yeah, I agree that action is, it's hard to get people to take action. A lot of time, maybe, especially podcasts, you're just listening to it and it's, it's in, you're just listening passively and you're not like, you know, yeah. completely yeah. engaged with it. And yeah, I agree. It could be, it could be quite difficult for myself, for the golf society. What challenges we're facing is how do we keep people engaged in the, by coming to our events? Right. I mean, we don't want people to just only congregate online we want them to come offline and sometimes people are oh they're busy and and so forth and i guess it's the nature of the community is somewhat different so we we have different types of challenges such as other people starting their own subgroups within the community and mm. that can prove quite troublesome because the organizers spend a lot of time to put things together and we we generally discourage this sort of uh, behavior, but of course they don't mean any harm by it. Maybe their schedule just doesn't match with doesn't match with uh, organized like our organizers hosting those events. So instead, they want to do their own events uh, that matches their their schedule, and they try to get yeah. other people to do it. But of course, that that sort of dilutes uh, a lot of the engagement. Yeah, that's messed up, man. I guess that's a negative. Actually, maybe that's a positive for a passive podcast because it's hard for, uh, you know, you have more power or more, you know, more control. I never thought of that, actually. But when you have such a like a more open community, it's uh, it could create that that situation. That's interesting. And I think um, collaboration is also a big aspect of uh, communities because once we ex we sort of. We, there's only so much different activities and things we can do, but I feel like collaboration is a huge part of any form of community, whether it's a podcast, a, a blog, a vlog, or even a physical community. And have you tried doing particular collaborations with... Well, I know we're doing collaboration now. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I was I think, on your podcast yeah. a few years ago, right? Yeah, I remember. That was awesome Before, in, our, in the New York office. Um, I mean, in Hong Kong office, excuse me, before you were going to Hong, you were going to, uh, Hong, to New York, I think almost right after, if I remember right. But, uh, yeah, of course this is a collaboration. I think one of the cool things about being a creator, you know, either podcaster, YouTuber, you know, blogger, a lot of the, a lot of the other people are like us. We're open and, and supportive of each other and what we're trying to do. So I think some of the best, best parts is the other you know, we don't see each other as competitors. I mean, it's even if there's somebody else almost almost directly like doing what 
we you know one of us is doing we still kind of help each other which has been an awesome thing so it's more about you know expanding the pie growing the community as a whole and uh, and educating people and and uh I've brought on some people on the show that are almost like direct competitors and some people are pretty amazed and then they, uh, you know, maybe they'll do business with that person or instead of us or, or something. But uh, I think what usually I've I've heard said and I've accepted is, you know, if, if they don't, they'll find out if they don't like you, they won't listen to you. And then, you know, it just saves everybody time. They'll just join a community or buy the service from the company that that they want to right so i just prefer to be myself and and not be worried about what's that called like scarcity or or you know gotta have the abundance mindset yeah so like there's no shortage of everyone there's such a huge uh, market or such a huge potential that there's no need to see each other like competitors in terms of action I know we talked a bit about uh, building our communities. So how, how can the audience start to take action and create their own communities? Because I, I see communities as the future of human interaction. I mean, communities have always been around since the beginning of time. Everyone needs to uh, have this sort of sense of belonging. And, you know, even in tribal days, this was definitely something that was, has evolved with technology. And I think with even with the rise of AI, with, with robotics and the changing of the workforce, the changing of the future of work. Yeah. I think communities become even more important. It's totally agree, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think as when robots do all our job, all we're going to have to do is listen to podcasts and uh, make our own podcasts. I think maybe everybody's going to have to make – everybody's going to have to be uh, – creating content or a creator or an artist. I think, you know, robots, I guess I've even heard about robots making art, but, you know, I think um, that's going to be, you know, I think, you know, think about Airbnb or Uber, you know, it's basically the stopping this whole central, centralized, um, you know, cryptocurrency similar to with governments and banks. But, uh, you know, I think it's going to be more back to the power of the people like the olden times when there was smaller communities Right. And uh, smaller villages, but now it'll be smaller online or groups from anywhere in the world. But it can be a very small group, but it can still be um, impactful enough to help those people. Right. So while people can't imagine it, but why just because I'm born in a certain place doesn't mean I'm limited to people around me. I can join a small, small niche community and uh, and and create really good friendships and business together. So I, yeah, I'm totally with you. And I guess as far as what listeners should do or can do, um, I think is creating channels to reach those communities and build those communities. Um, I, I guess, of course we're doing both doing podcasts, podcasts are effective, but of course don't just do podcasts. If, you know, I don't know if, Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think like mom, mom, and mommies are, are are listening to podcasts. You know, like soccer moms. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong. I have no idea. But I would look. I would try to get an idea of where my. We talked about this a little bit in the show, but where is my audience um, consuming content and 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 talking to each other and try to go there. So um, yeah, I think. I think build, build, you know, building your expertise, building your authority, you know, a lot of people call it an authority blog. Um, 
just by sharing your knowledge and connecting others and bringing experts onto the show to share with your audience. Um, I'm such so stuck in the idea of content creating. That's all I can think about. But I guess you could also, I would still recommend people build online community first uh, because especially if you're really a niche community, that means usually it's a smaller amount of people. You might not be able to find them around you as easily. So you might, like me, I mean, the community is kind of big, but you know, it's it, that's why I have to do like yearly events and try to get people together once a year because maybe if it happened every every week or every month, it might not be as big of a turnout. So I, I still suggest to do online content first. Uh, so do you have any like final like tips for our audience? Any golden nuggets? I mean. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, uh, of course, it depends what level people are on. Or, Of course, it's always thinking about the, the, the beginners, the people listening. Like, I think it's always just start, whether it's selling on Amazon. So many people don't start because they're always trying to research that perfect product. Or there's so many people that want to start that blog that just don't. I think you just got to start. And uh, I think you know me, Gilbert, but... I'm not a perfectionist, and some people drive them crazy. I guess there's perfectionists on, that make a good team with me, but uh, I'm the guy that just puts it out there and fixes it as I go. I think that's much better than being the perfectionist to try to make it perfect, and then usually it never even comes out online at all. So I, I know so many people, I make websites uh, for people sometimes, and um, you know, they freak out thinking as soon as it's put online, there's a million people coming to my website. It's going to criticize me and pick on every small, ugly picture. But, you know, most people don't even see your website. If you, and even if you spend money, they don't even click in your ad, you know. So um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm all about just taking action and getting something out there and learning from it and iterating and growing from that. So, you know, starting the website or just get a landing page, like I said, just and all this is free there's no excuse maybe the domain name i guess you could i don't recommend getting like a blogger domain or something but even wordpress.com or something but you know even if you don't even have ten dollars for a domain at least uh at least put something out there and uh to see people subscribe to your email list before you even make a blog post see how many people actually want to opt in for coming soon get get the updates when we're live see how many people say i want it right i love that I had one guy email me better podcast artwork. He said mine was so horrible he made it. I used it. I'm telling you, he, I used it for a, a while until I upgraded again. But he just said this is so horrible artwork. I I, I just would hear mine for free. I just <laughs> give it to you. Wow. So this is it's the power of a community um, coming together and helping each other out. So where can people find your podcast? Yeah, I think um, the best in for the business is globalfromasia.com or GFA. And uh, we're on iTunes and Instagram and all that. Great stuff. And where can people find you on social media, Michael? Yeah, my personal blog is mikesblog.com, which you could go to my Facebook or Twitter and Facebook, uh, Instagram, stuff like that. Well, it's been great having a mic on for the show today. If you want to learn more about Mike, uh, you can check it out in our show notes. And then we'll see you all next time. 
Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. You can find more episodes every Tuesday. If you haven't done so, please subscribe for more updates as they come. Until next time.